0: Hello Breakthrough listeners, it's time to embark on your journey towards mastering the infinite banking concept. Ascendant Financial is Canada's gold standard for guiding you every step of the way on your
1: journey of becoming your own banker. Visit mybankersvault.com to purchase our show-stopping package and receive your free wealth accelerator. More money, more control, and fewer taxes
0: await you. Discover the advantages of having ready access to money on demand precisely when you need it, to seize high-caliber opportunities with confidence, and to watch your wealth soar.
1: Visit mybankersvault.com. Again, that's mybankersvault.com.
0: Tired of the nine to five? Tired of only dreaming about the things you want to do? Want to have more time for your family? More time for you? More time for you? This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we interview qualified guests in the real estate industry all across Canada. We want you to live life on your terms, and we want to help you break through to that life through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. Now your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay.
2: welcome back, everybody! Thanks for joining us again today. We are we have another exciting guest, uh, and um, and we're just ready to rock and roll again and learn some more real estate tips and tricks that are going to help all you Canadians out there, you know, do a little bit better every day, manage things better, and uh, learn how to. We're going to get into it soon, but uh, first, everybody listening should go over to breakthroughreipodcast.ca. You can listen to all of the hundred and 80 some episodes that we've done over the last quite a quite a, quite a while and uh, and you can hook up with our guests there too so if you go into the show notes and you want and you and you hear somebody that's particularly interesting you want to know more about what they're doing you can get in touch with uh, most if not all the guests in the show notes and uh, and uh, they can also get our free gift right sandy
3: yeah, they can get a free gift—the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate, which uh, they can pick up on our website by signing up. They also, of course, get to catch up with us and everything we're doing, and uh, stay in the loop with uh, whatever other events or tours or excursions we might have on the go. And um, yeah, I mean, this this show is going to be no different. I mean, there's lots of lots of value coming. I'm excited to uh, to learn and uh, and share some great content, and I'm sure our listeners uh, are going to take away a ton from this one. This is going to be a good one.
2: And speaking of uh, current like events and things like that that we're going to be doing, do you have anything coming up?
3: Uh, that's a good question. Uh, do we have? I know you. Do, <laughs> so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna save. I'm gonna save you know, some time. It's I every time
2: that. that question stumps you. It's every time.
3: I know. Um, do we have anything coming up? You know what? Got it. Uh, at least hide have, it
2: better next time I
3: ask. <laughs> well, I mean, we are. I, we're still, of course, running our uh, Vaughan Investors Club still, which has been really, uh, really fun. Um, we're just in our, what are we, seven months into it. I uh, started mm-hmm. it earlier this year. We've had a great, great turnout with some, uh, some awesome guests and people there, and uh, and we're gonna be uh, just looking at the dates here when this will be out. Probably our next big one's gonna be um, September that people can uh, come join us out in uh, Vaughan area, just north of Toronto. Um, really easy to get access to. And we've had some awesome fun times there. We're going to do some property tours and things with that group as well. So now, what's um, it called again? Just so people can Vaughan look it up. Club, is where you can okay, go for cool. all the info. Um, and we've had tons of listeners uh, over the years that, that have uh, shown up and, and, and said they've been listening for five plus years, six plus years. It's been pretty cool. So um, if anyone's in the GTA and wants to check it out, you are uh, absolutely welcome
2: maybe I don't need to bombard you like that every time. Maybe they can, like you said, if they're on the mailing list, they'll know what's going on.
3: Well, I don't have, I, it's not because I, I don't have anything that's like in a different country or somewhere South and fun. And I know you do. Are you, are you sharing that now?
2: Uh, well, yeah, recently we just ramped up. Um, so monthly I'm doing webinars on investing in Costa Rica. So if you are on our mailing list, you'll know, um, when we're doing those, but once a month I'm doing the webinar just on, uh, the buying process, that type of thing, and then also I've been working with brokerages to share a referral program, so I can go on there with, uh, you know, in the in the training room and just explain how the referral program works and and run through that same presentation with them, uh, in case because there's been a lot of agents that uh, have clients that are interested in learning about that. So if anyone listening has a group or is that a brokerage and you want uh, to get in touch with me and I can run through this presentation with you guys, then uh, then hit me up, rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. Um, and also, we've just lined up our investor event for this year. So this year, it's going to be... Uh, November 24th, 25th, and 26th here in uh, Playa Potrero, Ganacaste. That's going to be the starting point. We're going to see some different areas, learn some things from last year's event. And actually, our guest was on last year's event, so we might talk about that for a minute. But, um, um, you know, uh, just going to change things around a little bit, keep it small, keep a little bit of more of a tight-knit group. And uh, I think logistically that's going to be easier, so... Um, if anyone's interested in that, same thing. Just reach out and uh, get yourself on the list.
3: So they're going to get intimate access to you and, and a select few of, uh, of awesome investors. Yeah. Great.
2: I mean, it's going to be a little bit different than last time. I think the group was pretty big last time. So logistically, getting people through the properties, getting them to the properties, getting everybody fed and moved on to the next venues and all that kind of stuff was a little bit difficult. So I think if we keep it smaller... It'll be uh, a little more beneficial for everybody. So that's to,
3: good. So people got to register now. Then I'm, I'm hearing there's uh, there's not many of these seats to go around.
2: That's right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay. Act now. Yeah. Uh,
2: I think that's pretty much it. You got anything else you want to talk about?
3: Uh, you know what? We've got an awesome guest standing by. We were just t- talking pre-show there. It's been nine years since we've had him on, so um, why don't we get into that and learn uh, learn from Andrew what he what he's been up to.
2: Yeah, super excited to have Andrew Brennan back on the show. It has been way too long. I was looking through the same as you, and I thought we'd had him on twice, but I think we've only had him on that one time. So there's going to be a lot of stuff there in between. Nine years was the last time you were on, Andrew. Welcome. Well, yes, it's
1: been a while. Thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, thanks for joining us again. So I mean, and since then, I know that you know your strategy and and the way that you invest has shifted drastically. So we're going to get into all that stuff too. Okay. <clears throat> uh, do do we have like an intro or a
3: bio or anything for <laughs> Andrew? Or <laughs> well, that's a great question. I mean, uh, I was I was gonna say, you know, back when we t- talked, I guess that was twenty fourteen. Um, so actually, we were in our first year of uh, of this show, and we're almost ten years in. So it was uh, it was back then that we we knew a little bit about you. But I remember um, I remember first time ever to Slay talk. You had this goal of hitting, I think it was fifty uh 50 doors I think that was part of your your goal at the time um maybe if I'm thinking about this right and I know you far surpassed that um and so why don't you just give us a quick background on maybe why 50 was the target back then and a little brief uh you know what what has you know propelled you past that to this point
1: oh yeah sure um boy it's hard to remember what goals I did have but um yeah. When I, you know, back then that made sense. I was probably looking at either 50 go, uh, doors or 50 properties. Um, today uh, through, you know, raising funds with joint venture partners and that uh, almost a thousand, right. And uh, it's about 200 million in assets uh, like holdings. So it's a much bigger machine nowadays. Um, in the last few years, we've uh, focused on property management and renovation as well. So we have three property management offices, and, um, each with uh, you know a renovation location stuff like that. Staff of something like thirty people, so it's uh, <clears throat> quite different than uh, last time I was here, uh, which is great. Um, you know, we're always looking to uh, to build and stuff like that. We've we've got some goals that we're still working on, so trying to um, you know still grow the portfolio and uh, grow the uh, property management business, which hopefully is based on all the properties I own, mm-hmm. right? But we do do third-party stuff in it as well. Um, so for me, it's um, transition has been basically, I was very successful doing two to four units and then really, you know, got to the point where I had about 125, 150 two to four unit properties I was holding. Came, comes with a lot of logistics problems. Um, and a lot of changes in the mortgage industry in the last say five-ish years that made us uh, drift towards buying apartment buildings. So that's what we focus
2: on now. And, you know, Andrew's like, so, uh, so, you know, thinking about who our audience is, right? Like there's not many people that can sort of, well, not wrap their head around it, but, but understand how you got to where you, where you guys are right now. And so I think that for us, we're going to have to try to focus on, you know, what does that, how, how do you build something like this? Right. So, um, and Andrew's brain works a lot differently than a lot of people that I know, because I mean, I'll I'll sit and have a conversation with them and, and, you know, I'll have maybe a little bit of a problem or an issue that I'm trying to work through. And he's just, well, he'll, he'll give me these, these, um, brilliant ideas that take like, Uh, You know, sort of like a half an hour of explanation in order for me to understand them just because, you know, he's 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 um, got these different strategies that a lot of people like very creative strategies, I guess, in most cases that a lot of people um, aren't utilizing. And I know back in the day you were really good at um, getting vendor take back mortgages in Ontario when a lot of people would say, well, that just doesn't happen here.
1: Yeah. Actually, matter about. of fact, I just ran my, uh, <clears throat> my last seminar was uh Saturday that just passed on vendor take backs. First time we did it in about five years. And, and the reason we did it again, because the market has now transitioned back to sellers being willing to take vendor take backs. You know, this is something that happens in uh, more of a, a buyer's market, right? So, you know. Um, we used to do a lot of them on two to four units. Um, you, you usually can't get them on single family homes, but, um, we were doing a lot of them before. And then there was a decent enough spread between cap rates and interest rates that, uh, you didn't need to do a VTB to, you know, be creative and stuff like that. Although we did the odd one here and there, but now it's our main focus. And it seems to be popular again, because everybody's worried about loan to values, but,
2: um, so very low level. Can you sort of walk people through, this idea and how it works?
1: Yeah, sure. Most people think it's so complicated, but really a vendor take back mortgage is just the seller acting as a lender, just similar to a bank would. So either in the first position or the second position, most of the time it's the second position. And what we do is we look to, um, right now, given the interest rate environment, we look to use vendor takebacks in the second position to increase the total loan to value we can get on a purchase and hopefully um, reduce the average interest rate that we're going to pay for the mortgages uh, to help, uh, you know, help keep the loan to value high. Okay. And I mean, there's a bit of a, um, you know, it's, you know, it takes me a whole day to like run through the seminar and stuff like that, but (laughs) there's a bit of um, details and education and things to go like tricks and, and stuff to go along with it. But At the end of the day, it's just about trying to create the best um, financing options, especially if there's uh, you're talking about properties that have, say, uh, issues that may impact financing, like building conditions, especially like foundation, things like that. Low rent roles or, or, uh, well, I guess low vacancy, sorry, low occupancy, so high vacancy and also low rental rates compared to market when the seller still wants a premium for their building when you look at the fact from a NOI, a net operating income and a capitalization rate. So it's, it's, a, it's, a great strategy. And it really allowed me to stretch dollars to build my portfolio.
2: So uh, like for someone looking at, let's just say doing this on a, um, a duplex, so someone's interested mm-hmm. in buying a duplex. So the seller has to be kind of in the right position because like Andrew, most of the people that are listening to this are usually like people just starting out. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get into the transition and we really want to hear about, um, you know, these bigger deals that you're doing and and stuff like that. But uh, first off, let's just like go back to, let's say someone wants to buy a duplex and, uh, and people, Uh, And so what position would that seller have to be in, in order to even um, like entertain the whole idea of the vendor take back mortgage?
1: So most of the time you're going to get a second mortgage. And that is because most of the time sellers have some Mm -hmm. type of mortgage on their property already. So when they sell it to you, they need to discharge their mortgage or two um, and they don't have enough equity to a satisfactory level to the buyer to hold of a mortgage, a first mortgage. So what we, what I used to do and still do, it makes sense is, you know, you go to look to get a small portion of financing. So it might be anywhere from say 10 to 20, maybe 25 for the second position to top out at like 80 or 90% loan to value. So if you were doing a duplex, you're probably going to top out at 80%. Although there are times when we, might arrange for seller financing to go on after closing mm-hmm. uh, to get our loan to value up to like 90. Uh, in the past, I've even done over 100, right? just depends on the project. And I, I would say I do get the benefit of being um, well-known. So people, you know, they, they trust if I'm going to do a project that they'll go to a higher loan to value, knowing it's me and my experience. But in general, I mean, if you can try and get something to 80%, Uh, especially in today's interest rate environment. I think that's a good, good transaction.
2: So doing this through the years and building up your portfolio, um, at what point did you decide, okay, I'm ready to do this full time? Actually,
1: I lost my job. I got downsized in 2009. Um, At that time, I had been investing for maybe like a year and a half. I had a few single family homes in the, where I live in Wasaga beach. And um, so I was just, you know, um, the, the, the way I got into the business was uh, an agent suggested that I don't sell um, my uh, wife at the time. Uh, I was moving up to Wasaga beach. I sold my house in Orangeville. She had a house in Wasaga. Neither house was big enough for a blended family. So uh, Instead of selling her house that she had, the agent said, "Well, why don't you rent it out?" So I, kind of, you know, thought, sat down, and did the math, and like, wow, this is fantastic. And so I started buying single-family homes. You know, back then you get five percent down. Even got one with a hundred percent financing, and wasn't too concerned about uh, cash flow or anything like that. Um, so I made lots of mistakes. Didn't know anybody, but um, you know, it worked out well. And uh, about a year after starting, or a year and a half after starting to buy them, I lost my job and. Um, didn't, didn't want to go back to the corporate world and the long commute because I live kind of, you know, well, north of the GTA. And uh, decided that I'd give the real estate thing a shot and started raising funds. And I thought I had a horrible year the following year only buying three properties. <laughs> so, um, worked really hard. And uh, I do things that when I'm consulting with coaching people, I don't suggest they do, but I did it. Um, like I, I worked doing renovations for free. I managed for free and, uh, made the numbers look better. It helped me gain credibility. Um, you know, I made a lot of equity. So did I work for free? No, I didn't get an hourly wage at the time I was doing the work, but I made a lot of money. So it all worked out well. And being downsized, uh, was the best thing that ever happened to me.
2: And I think if you talk to anybody You know, who's had a little bit of experience with real estate investing, there's gonna be something that they've done that they will tell somebody else, hey, don't do what I did. Oh, for sure. And if you don't have that story, then I don't know, then you're like this, you're the you're the unicorn. Call us up, let us know. Let us know your story if you've never had any problems.
1: Yeah, I would say if you're not making mistakes, you're not you're not challenging yourself enough.
3: Exactly. That's the I love when the, when the story starts with a setback because at the most people would have, see that as a big setback right? I got downsized um, or whatever you know losing their job of some sort and um, you can go two paths with that right? You can turn that into like a oh my gosh my life's over or you can turn it into okay a fresh beginning let's see what I can do with this and um, go have some fun in something that worked out I, I'm I'm guessing worked out probably a little better than you would um, <laughs> sort have of thought the job path was going.
1: Yeah, uh, it's funny that, you know. I, I was a director for a company, a large company globally. Right. And, um, I remember my wife at the time said to me, you seem much happier doing this real estate thing. Just keep doing that. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's uh support from her.
3: <laughs> yeah, Yeah. Really. That's important. Um, so, yeah. So, so you, you mentioned that you, you raised the money there in the early going at least and probably still now, but you were how, how did you get, how did he start that out? Cause a lot of people, um, a lot of people that I know listen to us are always having that question of how do they start raising money and build up that confidence or credibility or, or all these things so that they can actually go do that and uh, and you say to do that right away uh, yeah sounds um, like only a few properties I mean it's
1: funny um, my first investor was a, a neighbor and I remember I had a Super Bowl party with my agent at the time in attendance and we were talking about some of the stuff I did and I I didn't know for a little while that one of the guys, my neighbor was at the Super Bowl party, he went and bought a couple of properties after hearing me talk about it. Then he came to me and said that he likes the real estate thing, but he was a police detective with a couple of young children, wife working. He says, I just don't have time for this. Can I just, you know, give you the money and we'll do the investing. And I said, I'm like, sure. Works out great. Right. And then um, when you start getting uh, success or, um you know, people know what you're doing without trying to be, Oh, here's that guy that comes coming again. He's going to talk about nothing but real estate people notice. And the next thing you know, um, you know, one of the guys, another police officer contacts me and then the the agent that was uh, showing me some properties, he wanted to invest with me. And then it just kind of, kind of snowballs. Right. And you just talk to people. I did a few things, um, you know, try and do some podcasts, some, uh, wrote some articles for a couple of like you know websites, things like that, I've been in a few magazines, so your name gets out there, and um, you know I was I always thought myself as a horrible salesperson, uh, especially you know coming from logistics side of corporate, and um, people tell me all the time I'm a great salesperson, but I think it's only when I'm talking about real estate. So so my passion for um, my passion for real estate helps you know bring people on and you know they see the excitement and the, the success I had and it just, you know, it, it helps to build it. But the number one thing is, you know, uh, don't be ashamed to tell people, you know, what you're doing about real estate. It's not bragging, right? Um, you know, I guess, you know, to a certain extent, it's not bragging. Right. And people, people want to share in the success with you. Right. And if you can get even one or two properties under your belt under your uh, by yourself, it's a great starting off point because most people, you know, they don't have any rental properties. They have no idea. Right. So, you know, even someone with two or three, um, is, uh, is a fantastic success. Right. And, you know, in the position, in my opinion, to attract people's funds. And I, uh, the other thing I had was a great transferable skills. Right. So I would, I would talk to people about how I used to manage a, you know, uh, we did over in just in Canada, we did over a hundred million and, you know, I managed the customer service and the, logistics and the purchasing and all this stuff. And a lot of people have transfer, transferable skills, whether it be like public relations and dealing with tenants and stuff like that. So, you know, there's, there's lots of ways to, um, to build credibility and start raising funds and most important, get to some meetings.
2: Yeah. Go to some real estate meetup groups. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay. I know that this is not really like a a question that there's a 100% answer to. But let's just say, because we get this question all the time, like, what does a joint venture deal look like? But if you were going to give your best sort of um, advice on what that would look like, and I mean, I I guess it's hard because, like, everyone's situation is different. Maybe you don't have money to put into it, and then you can't really say, oh, well, then the best way to go into it is 50-50, split the, you know, uh, the the money. So, um, but anyway... Your best advice for someone that wants to get into joint venture deals, how does, how does someone structure that so that, uh, so that it's attractive?
1: Well, usually the case is someone is bringing something to the table that the other party doesn't have. And so often it would be, you know, someone might have experience or the desire to deal with properties or property managers or even tenants directly, and someone might have cash Okay. Number one thing is, regardless how great your friendship is, family members, whatever, get an agreement in writing. I hear about stories all the time where, oh, you know, me and my brother invested or me and my neighbor invested and we're supposed to do it 50-50 and there's no agreement. Um, you know, be, be honest with yourself. Like, you know, you might not want somebody who says yes to everything you, you, you uh, suggest, stuff like that. Um, and you want someone that maybe help you grow. So someone maybe that could challenge you a little bit and have, you know, high expectations. So you perform well, but I mean, nowadays, you know, one of our constraints is like, I have great deal flow. So my constraint is usually capital. Okay. So usually I'm looking for partners with capital and I know a lot of people, they might split capital, um, uh, requ- raising requirements or something like that. Um, but if you're looking for, you know, if, if you're looking to do pr- properties and stuff like that, you're probably the j- joint venture experience person, right. And you're n- maybe not raising or putting in any cash and just look, you know, look for money. That's they're not, it's not their last dollars. So they're not going to be, uh, how any new how the investment's going. It's someone that, you know, in a, in a guy scenario, I say, Someone you would sit down and have a beer with, right? And that's probably going to be a good indication. And someone whose goals and timelines are aligned with yours, right? Um, most of the stuff you can get, you can work your way through if there's other challenges, right? But just common ground, common goals, and you'll, you'll do well.
2: And put it in writing. Like people might, people again, like there's the whole idea that 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 is offensive in some way yeah. to. You know, especially if you're talking to a friend. Right. But it's very important.
1: So, you know, I always say um, sometimes a contract is not to, uh, you know, figure things out or deal with disputes because even, if, you know, something could be right and you can deal with a dispute and go against what's in the contract if everybody agrees. But sometimes it's also what if what if one of the per- uh, persons dies and someone now inherits their portion of the estate and things like that. And there's no written agreement.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. You know, like, you know, a prenup is not not necessarily for, um, you know, the person you're marrying. It's maybe to protect you from uh, or, you know, part of your family from their, the, your, you know, your wife's. Uh, new wife's uh, children or grandchildren or whatever for coming after things. Right. It's not always to protect the two partners. It's sometimes pre- protect what happens after one partner say passes away. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you're new at doing say real estate and joint ventures and stuff like that, and you might get into a scenario where, you know, you know, we, we get a lot of staff turnover at property management companies, right. It's just a, it's a very challenging position. It can be, they can be a, receive abuse and stuff like that from tenants. And someone might be, you know, supposed to be the expert here and, you know, dealing with tenants and managing the property, never done it before a year in and now bails. Well, what's the repercussions? There should be some repercussions, right? If it's not in writing, what's going to happen? Mm
2: -hmm.
3: It's
1: set up for failure.
3: So I agree with all uh, those for sure. Writing, (laughs) writing, not not ra- not raising someone's last dollar not not taking someone's last dollar i've seen i've 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 experienced that personally i brought not their last dollar but you know <laughs> their second they, last they dollar. Had like they might have had like you know only they were giving me 100k and they only had 150 that's yeah. the, the race a little off there i, I want someone to be totally comfortable and give me yeah. the money and then and then I, you know, they're just going to be a lot easier to work with because they're not going to hound you over little tiny things. And,
1: um, Especially and now electric.
3: relationship. we're, we're doing
1: apartment buildings There five, 10 year terms, right? You know, I believe it or not, I've bought probably close to 200 properties, never done a flip.
2: Right. Really? Wow. Interesting. Well, most people have that flip, not an intentional there. flip,
1: not an intentional flip. I don't think I've sold a property for the first 18 months that I've held it.
2: Hmm any intentional flips that I've done, I always ask myself why I did that later on. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, you guys know Ian
1: Zabo. I remember yeah. Zabo, Zabo great yeah. does great flips, stuff like that. And one day he just couldn't believe how much money he lost by not holding on to those properties.
2: Right. At least for a little while at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, let, okay. So you just mentioned apartment buildings again. Um, Sandy had said that when you were on last time you were, you had this goal of 50 properties and you mentioned that once you got to a certain level, you know, it was very hard to manage all of those properties. So let go, go from where you were to the point where you decided, okay, something needs to change because the scale has just gotten too big to manage.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, funny thing is I sold off a few in hopes of getting down in numbers. And then I just ended up um, buying apartment buildings to replace them, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, I've dropped a little bit. I mean, I'm still over a hundred properties, whatever. But, you know, a hundred separate properties, uh, probably at the time, maybe working with 25 joint venture partners, although we have more now, but um, 25 individual, joint venture partnerships. Like, so you might have one investor that has two or three houses. So there's an insurance policy, there's three roofs, there's three furnaces. Um, you know, it, it just became that it was hard to grow, um, because you're, you know, you have to manage or oversee so many small assets. And so we sold some off. It was great for seed capital to, to buy more apartment buildings. Got out of some partnerships by selling them off, things like that. And um, just realized that economies of scale, right? You know, it's uh, it's so true what people say. You know, you know, I'd rather have 20 units under one roof with one boiler, um, you know, one property management statement, things like that. It's just it's just so much easier. And I just came to the point where I just you know what, I, I couldn't keep replicating what I was doing and continue to grow the same way because, you know, what, what what I was going to grow to 200, 250 properties, 300, right. It just becomes a, you know, time way too time consuming and mentally consuming.
2: So is there a difference between the way you raise money now, or did you talk to some of those partners and say, Hey, let's sell off these assets and stay on with us and buy other ones? Or did you like, is there, Is there like more of like an amalgamation of, uh, of funds or how does that work? Um, it was a combination of both. I mean, I have some
1: investors that necessarily didn't sell anything that couldn't get any more, you know, um, two to four unit properties. So we naturally had to transition into commercial or like, which are pretty much multifamily apartment buildings. Um, some did a little bit like we sold off a couple or they freed up more capital and, and uh, moved it into apartment buildings. And um, some was, you know, just now... Prices have changed a lot in, in 10 years. You know, so what used to be, you know, investment of say 75,000 because we got a VTB on a, on a duplex or something like that that we we're buying for a few hundred thousand bucks. Now it becomes often, you know, uh, a transaction is a million investment, I think, you know, one we did, we had to raise, you know, a couple million, three million. I think just for one, right? And so um, I, I still have a good word of mouth and good relationship. Um, current investors that I have tell other investors. So, you know, there's, there's multiple ways to raise the capital. It wasn't just like, you know, you guys, thanks for buying duplexes with me. See you later. It was a, It was a whole combination of things. The other thing is, I mean, I, I, I have to um, you know, I'm not a, a Mick or a REIT or whatever, right. So I have guidelines that I have to follow right as well. So I'm somewhat constrained by those.
2: Have you ever thought of, uh, of starting something like that up?
1: <sighs> you, know, I looked to it. I looked at it. I talked to a few people that own them. Um, they're very costly up front very um, heavy management financial management for lack of better wording, and I find the returns are a lot less right um, you know when you when you have to contribute a lot of money for overhead and stuff like that it it um, it chews up the profits that you can say share with your investors
2: so the way that you do it now then is more or less just whoever the partner is or or maybe even in some cases multiple partners they would have a shared ownership in the property often yeah yeah often yeah yeah okay yeah i mean there's, you know, there's, there's other ways to do it i guess just money loans and that type of thing with a certain return
1: we don't we don't do those um no. like preferred shares stuff like that i mean most people don't realize that you know if you're buying you're buying in, say, four, five, six cap rate area and interest rates because you're getting a mortgage are, you know, three, four, five, six. If you only have like a a 2% spread between the interest rate and the cap rate, where's the money coming from to pay an 8% uh, cash on (laughs) cash preferred share? Basically, the guy that's running the project over-raised money to give back to you so you can, you get a deferred or preferred uh, payment monthly, quarterly, whatever. Right. And um, those projects need to be done usually quickly because that's not sustainable in a standard buy and hold. Not that we yeah. do standard buy and hold mean, we do cash for keys and drive rents up, but uh, mm-hmm. basically what you're doing, you're overraising and diluting the ROI as a percentage for the investors.
2: Mm-hmm you mentioned cash for keys then. So, so the strategy is of course you buy a building and, and, um, bring up the value of it in, in certain ways. One of the best ways to do that is pay somebody to get out of the apartment Mm -hmm. and renovate it and rent it again for more. Correct. How, how effective is that when you're, when you guys are going through and trying to, um, trying to, uh, bring up the value. Um, it's it's okay. It's never
1: as great as you want because you never get a hundred percent, but you usually plan for somewhere, for say 50 to 75% of the units turning over in a say three to four year time timeframe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there's always a few tenants that are not, never going to take it no matter what. And we have like, we have a strategy, uh, I guess a formula that we pay based on um you know the cap rate for the area and how much their rent is under market. So usually we have decent success. Um, basically, you know, the, the, the strategy is for every hundred dollars per month under market, we will offer or we will pay three to four thousand for the person to leave. So you know, I know that sounds like a lot, but if- so
2: three to four thousand for every hundred.
1: Yeah. So if someone
2: would say very very good incentive. Yeah. We. I mean,
1: it's, we don't. We. It's. It's a whole process, right? Uh-huh. Um, we don't run right out in there and you know <laughs> tell them the max.
2: <laughs> Do you don't wave right? the cash in their face? Right.
1: Oh, we've we've gone to. The, I've gone personally gone to the door with, with a big stack of one hundred dollar bills, and sometimes that works. But but basically, someone's uh in a, you know hundred bucks under market, and if you're in a four cap rate area, and your rent goes up a hundred bucks. Basically, um, I always I I, I do a slight adjustment uh, on the the net operating income increase to account for you know increased costs in property management and vacancy because those those are based on a percentage of rent collection or rent roll. Uh, but basically, it's about twenty seven thousand dollars. So I always just round down to twenty five grand for every hundred bucks. So why wouldn't I give someone three bucks three thousand bucks to leave if my billing value is going to go up? Right and now, right. we usually don't we usually don't do it for a hundred bucks, but 200 250 we've got some uh, that are like 800 right um, if you're in a five cap rate area it's about 18 thousand bucks right so you might give someone three grand and it, you know goes up 18 thousand right um, so it's a really really great way to drive value regardless mm-hmm. of the market condition okay we um, will we we, know, we we have a whole process and a strategy of how much we'll overpay for a building, based on being able to do cash for keys. Um, you know, then we have a I've called it the logistics of making the offers, and you know, you don't run out and offer the the guy with the you know the guy that's eight hundred under market. You don't you don't go to him first. You go to the people that are two hundred under market, right? Stuff
3: like that. More likely so, that mm-hmm. they're going to agree to it, right? When they're two hundred. Yeah, because
1: if, <laughs> if if the, if you go to the eight hundred guy first and he takes. 15,000 leave. And he tells the guy who's 300 yeah. on the market, you got 15,000. Yeah. Guess what your number for the 300 guy is going to be? Somewhere around yeah. 15,000. Right? Right. Yeah. So, but it works that's really
3: well. That's, what, that's what's great about those, you know, those properties, right? The, the, it's more of a math thing than it is uh, the smaller, you know, two, four units, that sort of thing is a lot more challenging to, to come up with those equations. Cause it's kind of a lot more of a variable, right? Um, at least that's my, my thoughts. And then um, and this just becomes a math thing. You said, you know, 18 to 25,000 in those cases, five or 4% cap rate. Right. So yeah. it's significant lift in, in terms yeah, of those. It is. those and over- so
1: our strategy nowadays is like we, we do projects and yes, you know, the bank's going to make you cash flow based on a debt coverage ratio. Um, I tell I tell investors that we're not doing a cash flow project. We're doing a raise the building value, velocity on our funds, get the funds out, we'll give it back to you in hopes that you're gonna reinvest with us again.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's like you said, a, a three to four year outlook on that specific building, usually something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's
1: like when I when I produce numbers, uh if I'm evaluating a building and I'm you know thinking about buying. Uh, usually, you know, we're talking, but the minimum is pretty much like 12 units, right? We prefer probably around like 20 to 30 unit buildings, right? Although I think the largest one we have is 94, but uh, we, we're looking for say, a 10-year project and to keep things simple and easy and, you know, add a little bit of buffer. We I, do, I look to refinance exactly at the five-year time frame. That's how I run my numbers. And our goal is to get in position to be able to refinance in three to four years, so in three to four years, then um, you know if I get it done in three to four years, and my numbers were based on five, I'm going to be delivering a much higher ROI on that investment than I originally had planned.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Right. <clears throat> and, and so the expectations of the investors investing with you, uh, given those timelines, is um, is essentially no cash flow for that time frame, but big lift at the refinance uh, point and and probably at the ten year, whenever you end up potentially selling the property, right? Not always. Sorry, thinking,
1: yeah. Not always. I mean, often we'll intend to pay cash flow after, like, start after, say, twelve to eighteen months.
2: Right. Um, okay.
1: But what ends up happening is, I mean, you know, when I'm, when I'm trying to do the, the numbers for a project, you know, I need to try and estimate how much f- funds I need to have upfront for cash for keys, uh, how much I need for renovations. And I'll be honest, we don't do major renovations. Like, we're not looking to upgrade buildings. Basically, we'll fix what needs to be fixed, and we'll. You know, get the units re-rentable, but we're not going to be doing like upgrades and stuff. You're like that. You're not full
2: gut, no. For every no, unit, no. and
1: yeah. And then so you know, it's a trade-off. If if I know that you know, I think I I can get the rent roll up. Say say we start with a rent roll of ten thousand. I think we can get it up to say fifteen thousand. Um, I may not want to raise all the renovation funds. Uh, I might want to you know, let's say I'm going to need two hundred thousand. I might want to raise one hundred fifty. Because I know in say year two and three I'm going to have extra cash flow uh, because I've repositioned the rent roll, and if I if I raise less funds I offer a better ROI for investors overall, right? So you know we'll what we'll do is let's say it's going to produce I don't know, easy math ten thousand dollars a year in cash flow from year one. Well, in year two we'll start paying 10,000 bucks. In year three, we're probably still paying 10,000 bucks. In year four, we're probably still paying 10,000 mm-hmm. bucks, right? And we're, the, the difference, the spread that we've grown is getting to go back into trying to get more tenants to leave and stuff like that, more payments, right? Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, it's all about, for me, it's all about velocity on money. Get the money into the project, get it out as fast as possible. So now hopefully we have infinite return. Yeah. That's, that's, those are some great tidbits there. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, And it's like, that's why people ask me, um, why don't I go to a higher cap rate area like Alberta or the U.S.? i S I'm like, well, I want to, I want to, I want to drive up building values in the lowest cap rate area I can, which is Ontario and the ability to get buildings with severely under market rents doesn't exist in non rent controlled areas right so for me Ontario makes perfect sense right when you look at it from that from that f- formula point of view Well,
3: wow, that's a good that's a good one there's uh you know sometimes we take little clips from this and share them around and that that little 20 seconds there I, I haven't heard someone as an advocate for Ontario in a while mark that down that's the only thing that's the only thing I agree. Well,
2: I mean, I don't, I don't think you'd be hard pressed to find a building full of undermarket rents in, uh, in the States either though, or in Alberta, you know.
1: But so the buildings that are, you find in certain areas, they probably are buildings that need like a lot of renovations and an upgrade, right?
2: Yeah. It's not because of that. That's yeah. that it's under market here. Yeah. 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 You know,
1: I, I had one, uh, feedback from one possible investor uh located in bc and said my my uh, my numbers were fantasy he didn't understand the project he says you can't you can't renovate 18 units for that amount of money do all the common areas of roof and i'm like where did it say we were doing that right right we we do a lot of people do are doing that
3: a lot yeah. of people are doing that that's a that's a good that's a good um mindset shift that that you know you don't necessarily need to do that to that level to upgrade it That's the thing with Ontario. There's a lot of people that are, they stay in these units for a long time. So the rents get pretty, pretty low and the rents and rental rates have been booming for for a while. Yeah. Um, So there's a big spread there, right? Yeah. Without even renovating, just, just doing the cash for keys uh, concept. Yeah. And just, you know, freshen
1: up, maybe paint a couple of doorknobs, maybe uh, occasionally do the flooring, like nothing major.
3: Right. What's, um, you, you talked about raising the income here. Any, uh, any key things you look for in the other side of things and lowering the expenses on these buildings?
1: Um, you know, I know a lot of people are on about, uh, separating utilities and stuff like that. We don't necessarily worry too much about that. I mean, obviously you pay a higher rent rate if it's inclusive, but we will look at, um, you know, certain things, um, you know, can we operate better? Right. Uh, just, you know, uh, better, like say, um, contracts for garbage removal, removals, snow clearing. Um, you know, one of the benefits we do have is we, we, since we manage and usually clean and renovate probably 95% of the properties we own, we're able to make sure that uh, we get some efficiencies with, uh, you know, uh, keeping, just making sure the staff are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, keeping an eye on, you know, the workers and stuff like that. And, um, you know, we're able to control schedules for renovations and stuff like that. So, and, you know, effort to reduce vacancies and things. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm more focused on growing the income. You know, I know like for every dollar I save in a, in a building it is equal to like, you know, in a, in a, the valuation of the building is similar to raising the rent a dollar but I think there's a lot more opportunity to raise rents and um, you know, it's, it's usually not seen as a negative thing or trying to make too many changes as opposed to say, coming in and clamping down on expenses and, you know, small things. Right.
2: I mean, it's, it's easier to do that than figure out who leaves their lights on and air conditioner on all day long.
1: Yeah. Like if I, you know, if I challenge my team, let's, you know, let's either get just for round numbers, $5,000 an additional, NOI per month, right? So, you know, are they going to spend all kinds of time looking for $5,000 and probably impossible savings from cutting expenses, or are they going to go out and they're going to try and, you know, um, turn over the rent roll, pay cash for keys, uh, maybe add some services or whatever, or laundry or whatever to to drive that up, right? To me, Mm -hmm. it's focused on the income side, right? Mm -hmm. Want to totally ignore the expenses, right? You know, like you can do like water saver kits and, you know, Motion sensor lights and stuff like that, but you know you only have so much um because we have a lot of projects projects on the go we can only commit so much time. I'd rather focus on income growth right Than than worry about cutting the expenses a little bit
3: Now cutting okay. income growth is cut pretty obvious if there's obvious expenses then I'm sure you probably tackle them, but if they're kind of you're you're trying to hunt down a needle in haste i mean what's what's the point focus on what you know is is there to improve and go for it right yeah. yeah makes sense.
2: So, uh, you know, I'm sure you're going to be able to answer this in like 30 seconds. No problem. But uh, (laughs) um, when you're looking at these buildings, how do you evaluate them as something you could potentially want to buy? So
1: I would say that most of the time I look at just the numbers on paper Mm. and then decide to buy. Okay. Mm. And basically is, you know, the key components are what is the cap rate? What is the um, the interest rate? How much is the market rents uh, or how much is the rent roll under market? I run my numbers and then most people know that I have a, I have a saying, if, if I think I can make 30% per year on average, then I'll look at buying that building. Right? Okay. Simple as
2: that. So it's actually not that difficult.
1: It's not that difficult. Like, I mean, I, you know, I... I do coaching consulting for people and they tell me about their transactions and like, why are you way over there and say, you know, Windsor or uh, outside of Ottawa or whatever. Oh, because the, the building was for sale. And I thought it was a great deal. Just focus on what your main thing, pick a strategy, a couple of metrics to measure it, you know, stick to a particular area and just focus on that. Right. People think that they have to run around trying to find buildings. No, you can commit and, time and find ways to find buildings in the area you select.
2: And so what area are you got? What area are you in?
1: Um, our main focus is the 401 corridor east of, uh, I guess from like Ajax out towards uh, Kingston, probably uh, we actually have a couple properties in Cornwall that we have to, at this point, have someone manage for us, but from Ajax to Kingston, we're buying, that's our target, main target area. Uh, and we also do like Simcoe County, you know, just, bought a couple of apartment buildings uh, outside of Barry, right. Working on a couple more. Um, so those are the two areas that we focus on most, right. That's that 99% of my properties would be in those areas.
2: And so other than Cornwall, it's uh, it's all managed by your team.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I do. To be honest, I do have one uh, third party manager in Kingston and he did a, he did a good job. Um, before I set up my own office that I didn't want to punish him by taking his, taking the stuff back. So I thought, you know what, you know, I'm very, very high on ethics. You know, you thank you. You know, you did a good job for me did cash for keys for me. And I didn't want him to say, Oh, I'm here now. got my own office. Give me my stuff back. So he still manages it for me.
2: That's great. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, without, you know, getting too personal, what does the portfolio look like? Um,
1: I think I mentioned earlier, I was like, we're getting close to a thousand units, Um, about 200 million. Um, You know, I've been doing, been doing it for a long time. So, and we've got a lot of growth, um, both from transactions and from value increases, like doing our own, you know, cash for keys and stuff like that really helps drive building value up and um, just, you know, open up our third property management office in Oshawa uh, a couple months ago and hopefully open up another office in the next year or so in Trenton Belver area. And we'll see how it goes from there. But, it's, you know, I mean, obviously I don't need to buy any property. People remind me that all the time. Uh, I hear all the time. Hey, Andrew, don't you have enough? I love what I do. So we'll see where it goes, but.
2: Okay. Um, man, I just, uh, I'm very impressed. Like, super impressed. And it seems like almost every day, well, let's say almost every month, it seems to me like I, I'll go onto social media and see, oh, Andrew's got a new building under contract. Um, yeah, you know what? It's not quite as much as we used to. Um, you know, interest rates have
1: impacted us. So, I, you know, I, <laughs> I know this, I'm going to sound like a complete jackass saying this but i said to a few people i might have a disappointing year and not buying 100 units this year right um you know so we're a little bit slower right now uh to be honest i mean there's a lot of fear in the market and people are hesitant right but um you know i'm out there every day this is what i love to do so every day i'm trying to buy stuff and you know
3: say are you are you seeing more fear in the in investors to, to um, invest in with you or are you seeing more fear just what's your take on the in general, generally yeah. kind of where we're at now where is that fear lying is there maybe is there maybe a time coming where there's going to be an influx of, uh, of, of deals out there potentially or any any thoughts on that well
1: there's a lot of people sitting on capital they're not sure what's going to happen you know like if you look at some of the market stats even for single family and small duplexes and stuff like that, um, once the bank of Canada didn't have a rate increase for two months or two or three months straight there, you know, you would see that, and there's always supply issues, right? You would see that, uh, prices were starting to go back up. Multiple offers were, were going back up and, uh, the days on market were, were dropping. Right. And then, so, you know, people were talking again, now we've gone back to two more rate increases. And it seems like everybody's, you know, those are the ones that were thinking about moving to do something are probably, you know, hesitant to get now, right? Sit in line, see what happens. Um, You know, the other thing is in the commercial world, if you get CMC insured mortgages, they're not as high as people think they are, but the cap rates are still pretty low, right? Often sellers are asking less than uh, when you look at what they're asking as a cap rate, they're offering uh, the property at a cap rate that's lower than the interest rate. So technically, you know, if I'm paying four cap rate and my interest rate is five, I'm actually losing money, right? So it's harder to get some transactions done and the spread and the, or the ROIs that we're offering, able to re- obtain have uh, have decreased a little bit. Still within our standards, but, um, you know, it, it's just a matter of time. I think the rates will go down, uh, in you know, maybe in a year or so, right? The, the inflation number was good the other day. So it'll just, it'll balance out at some point, but you know, just trying to, what I'm trying to do is just try and do a few transactions um, to keep growing, but very more, much more selective on what I would do given the interest rate environment.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <coughs> Makes sense. So it's a, it's an interesting time with the economy. That's for sure. Lots of fear out there. I
2: hope you're right. Uh, <laughs>
3: well, <laughs> I I you're mean, right they're going to, the rates are going to
1: go down, right? Um, People will still, I mean, people are going to have to invest. You can't, you don't necessarily change everybody's mindset. They might pause temporarily, but you know, it'll come back.
2: So as much as you love what you're doing and the day to day may be reward in itself, um, what, what on top of that are some of the things that motivate you? Like what things give you inspiration drive to keep going? I know you mentioned before we started recording that you'd been taking a lot of amazing vacations and able to see some places. So um, like what outside things, I guess, are drivers for you?
1: Um, you know, the, the big benefit of what I do is um, because of my staff and things like that. And I have a, I have a business partner who does like boots on the ground. I only need an internet connection to do what I do. You know, it's pretty much mostly done on the phone, uh, internet. Occasionally, I do some face-to-face meetings with with individuals. Um, you know, it's it's nice to be able to help people. Um, you know, I don't need to buy any more real estate, but there's you know, it's satisfying to you know accomplish something, get something under control. It's great to give money back to investors, and the the they retain their ownership. That's a great feeling, right? Um, so you know gotta be honest, I don't have enough hobbies. Right. Yeah. I like to travel, but uh, you know, if I'm not doing real estate, I don't know what I'm going to be doing.
2: Well, you mentioned you were, you were, you were hiking and in Panama, things like that. I mean,
1: yeah, but you know, you can only do so much of that and it's just, you know, it's hard to fill 16 hours a day.
2: (laughs) Well, I think that's the goal for everybody, right? Like we all, that's the ultimate goal from real estate is we all want more freedom from it. Right. And so, yeah. And so if we're able to accomplish that um, anywhere near the scale that you've been able to do it, then I think we're all, then we're winning. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm very blessed. Um, I have the freedom of time uh, call it financial freedom. Um, so I'm, I'm very blessed that way. You know, it, it was, I worked very hard, probably too hard. Didn't delegate enough growing the business. So I, I, I don't want to say I sack paid the price, but I did you know i had many a 80 or 100 hour work weeks several years ago to make you know to get me to where i am today
2: mhm um well <laughs> i don't know andrew i uh, obviously th- very very impressed with what you guys have built and uh and thank you for coming on and sharing all this with us you know i, I know that there's sort of just scratching the the tip um of what knowledge that you have. But um, if anyone listening out there is interested in what Andrew's doing and uh, want to learn more, how could they reach out to you?
1: Oh, you can just get in touch with me. uh, Andrew at palmtreecapital.ca.
2: I like that. Palmtree Capital. That's great.
1: Yeah. You can probably guess where I was sitting. (laughs) <laughs> when
2: I, when I <laughs> it was like, coconut hit you in the head, and you looked up and went, ah, Palm Tree Capital.
1: Yeah. No, the coconut didn't hit me, but you know, I was struggling for a name. It's was like, oh, this is my favorite spot. I'll pick this. So, and a property management company called Shoreline, you know, all right.
2: Okay, gotcha.
1: So, I like sticking with the theme. <clears throat> Beautiful.
2: And, uh, and okay, so Palm Tree Capital.
1: Yeah, Andrew at Palmtree Capital, or you can just go on our website, palmtreecapital.ca.
2: ca Okay, got it. Anyone who uh didn't catch that or or wants to just check it, go into the show notes and we'll have um Andrew's contact information in there and you can reach out to him. And uh thank you. Man, thank you so much for coming back on again. It's been it's way it's too cool. long.
1: Yes. I hope to see you again soon down the down where you are in Costa Rica. So
2: Yeah, yeah. Come on down anytime. Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, i'll sandy, welcome you in
1: <laughs> I, I haven't i haven't crossed paths with sandy for, for a long time but you said you have a thing in vaughn
3: yeah you should come out sometime and like- Club. well we should have you out sometime to, to share with our audience um like it's uh, like right, you know, vaughn mills right in that right in that uh near the mall there can you uh send me some details yeah i'll, I'll flip them over yeah, I to mind, you I yeah.
2: Mind coming out sometime. Yeah.
1: yeah you
3: guys have been having a big turnout there right
2: like it's been doing well right
3: awesome yeah i mean you can't you can't get a more accessible location really in the gta i don't think where it's like all the highways come together and you can come from anywhere north south well yeah it's north south east west and kind of hit it pretty easily within half hour or so for a lot of people so it's been a great uh great time um great time getting in person again we had the you know Mm -hmm. coming off covid stuff it was like can we like can we get in person and make this like start from scratch again or is that like a thing of the past and uh, like great people to still do.
2: stand ten feet apart from each other to have their conversation, <laughs> yeah. or it's...
3: six, six feet. <laughs> yeah. it Honestly, it was a, that was our was our one of our limited beliefs probably around that was just like yeah, are people going to actually come to the, these things still? Right. And and I kept seeing obviously Durham I. We've always talked about in the show yeah, yeah. been a great um great leader in that space. So they, they you know I think they're still getting hundred ish people every time. Or like if, I think if they can do it, I think I think out there all the way to wherever it is, Ajax, Whippy, wherever they're doing them these days, you know, we can get them to North, just North of Toronto. I think it's well Vaughn is half the distance for me. It's going to Quentin's meeting. So (laughs) there you go. (coughs) Yeah, it's good. We will make sure we get the info. Uh, Club.com for anyone else uh, that uh, that wants to find that. And uh, we'll make sure we get you on the list there, Andrew. Okay. But
2: other than the investor club, Sandy, how do people get in touch with you? Uh,
3: Social media anywhere. I'm pretty uh, pretty out there on those channels. Um, or Sandy at freedomreps.com.
2: And people can reach me at rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. Thank you again, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, guys. Thanks.
0: You've been listening to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show, and we hope you've been inspired to take control and live life on your terms. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And don't forget to subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next time.